Welcome to San Diego News Fix, The Backstory. I'm Luis Cruz. Every week, we're giving you a behind-the-scenes look at our industry and our newsroom. Today, we're discussing how Border City, a new podcast series from the San Diego Union-Tribune, presented by the Los Angeles Times, came to fruition. Joining me today is Border City podcast host and former Union-Tribune reporter, Sandra Dibble, and Union-Tribune managing editor, Laura Sacalo. Laura, I'll toss it over to you. Thank you, Louise, and welcome, Sandra. It's Thank great you for to having me you here. Thank you. Um, I wanted to talk, you know, you arrived in uh, Tijuana at kind of a pivotal point, uh, pivotal year, 1994. But I wanted to start just a little bit before that and, and ask what brought you here in the first place? How, how did you end up here and uh, reporting in Tijuana? Well, I mean, I wish I had a really good, straightforward answer, but I was, um, I had been a newspaper reporter for 10 years, and then I worked for three years at National Geographic, and I just missed having a beat, and I missed um, the, the freedom of writing daily as opposed to a magazine, which is a much, much more team effort, I think, um, uh, oddly enough. Um, and I just missed daily and the idea of covering the border. I just had this idea. I was in Washington, DC. I didn't really know much about the border, but I thought, now that would be really cool. And you know, it was those years, I don't know that saying, follow your bliss, uh, go, go and uh, chase that dream. And I sort of went, okay. <laughs> and then, then I got here and I go, what have I done? But um, that's sort of how I came. Oh, that's so, great. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> and uh, for, you know, people listening in this this podcast, Border City, that you've, you've just completed really follows both your life there and the life of, of the city. I'm curious, what prompted you to do a podcast after all of those years of reporting? Wow. Well, um, actually, it wasn't my idea. I, I believe it was Jeff Light and Susan White, they, um, who was my editor. Um, on this podcast and co-creator and had a really very important pivotal role in this podcast, though um, you don't won't hear her voice, but she's there. Um, uh, so I don't know, I think I'd, I had just broken my foot. So, and I remember Susan calling me and saying, oh, I have a great idea for you, but it's like, well, we've broken my foot. Well, you get better and then we'll talk about it. And so the idea turned out to be a podcast. I was kind of nearing retirement anyway. So I think, I think the, this idea all came together. Like a, it, it's an amazing way to sort of cap off a career, right? To have a project like this. Um, I had never seen myself as someone doing a podcast. I don't know how to record. Um, I, you know, I don't... I've, I've worked around um, photographers, but I haven't worked around audio very much. So I had to learn a lot. I had to learn a lot and um, on the job. It's not that different though. You know, you listen for a quote in print, you listen for a quote in audio, but there are certain differences and there's just technical things you have to get used to. So that, that um, maybe that's more than you wanted to know, but. No, yeah. I, and actually I, I'm interested in what some of those challenges beyond just you know, learning the technical side of that, what, what were some of the other differences or challenges that you found in podcasting mm -hmm. versus life as a reporter? 
Well, you have to get ambi sound, right? So I, I never really, uh, meaning, meaning you have to paint a sound picture. Like when you're a reporter for a newspaper, you can get it all later, right? Um, um, in a way, when you're uh, recording, if you don't have the audio of the moment, it's really hard to go back and get audio. Um, so you have to be thinking about that. And I wasn't thinking about that at all. I was just thinking about, um, you know, um, taping my interviews. Um, and so that was a challenge. Um, and, um, you know, just making sure you're, it's charged, right? It doesn't lose your, your video doesn't lose charge and, and that you don't get back and, oh, you don't have a tape. You thought you were recording, but you weren't really recording. So all this stuff that, that you don't think about as a writer, or if you do mess up and your tape recorder as a reporter didn't work, you can kind of, somebody else will pass you the tape of the press conference, right? That there's just no, you know, the, the nightmares to have a really personal interview with somebody and then have to go back and do it over again. Um, so, so that was the challenge that, that was, but, you know, I wasn't putting it together. So then there's the challenge of how do you put this all together sound wise? Um, so I, I wasn't doing that. Right. And there's, there's also the challenge of, of capturing this, you know, quarter century of, of reporting in, in this podcast. I'm, I'm curious, one, how you approached telling this kind of dual story, your story and the story of the city. And also if there are things that you learned, even though this was partly the story of your experience, were there things that you learned about that time period that you either saw differently or uh, learned for the first time? Wow. Um, I guess answering your last question first. Um, yeah, it was an amazing opportunity because, uh, you know, when you're a daily reporter, you know, you're just thinking about getting your daily story in and, and often a weekender and you're not thinking about the big sweep of things and the sort of maybe even the historic context. So it, gave me a sense of what it's like to be a historian when you go back over old notes and, um, you know, historical documents and timelines. Um, and I think I came at this without meaning to at this really key time. Um, I was talking to a friend of mine and she was telling me, you know, before you came, like maybe the 80s, you know, in Tijuana, the big news was whether the price of tortillas went up um, or what the dollar exchange rate was. And by the time I came, the Ariano Felix drug cartel had had started to be actually was reaching the peak of their power. So I I walked into this like not knowing anything and not understanding anything or really even following very closely the underworld dynamics. Um, and I think what we've seen in the past 25 years is this just sweep of how how drug trafficking and Tijuana's position of being on a major drug drug route has really um, has really done a number on the city uh, at, at different levels um, and in different ways. You know, at first maybe it was just these big homicides and that we'd write about every time, um, but now it's just there's more homicides, but they are smaller players and it doesn't get in the news as much. Um, you asked me the other question. Do you want me to answer it about how we even began to, to do this? Um, 
uh, basically with timelines, there's just no other way around it. Um, I went over my stories and I just did a timeline of the significant stories. And then I went over, then I actually had to investigate myself and I went into my diaries um, and I don't write much, but I did write a diary when I first came. And so I kind of, well, you know, what was I thinking? And I was sort of surprised at what I discovered about myself and what, what I was writing at the time. So I, I went back into the written records. That's great that you had those. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Thanks. In, in the first episode, I know there's a, a, a part where you talk about uh, Tijuana being a city of many realities. And I'm, I'm curious, one, what you meant by that and, and how you see those realities having shifted during your time there. Well, when I, um, you know, when I moved there, I moved into this well-to-do section of the city where I felt safe and I had an apartment and a garage door that closed. And, you know, I was a little, I was scared, not, not that I thought, oh, I'm in a dangerous city, but I'm alone in this city and I don't know anybody. So I want to feel safe. Um, but then, you know, you go out and you drive to the edges of the city and you see all the, the newcomers. Um, Tijuana back in the 90s was, had, was having a huge boom and people from all over Mexico were moving to Tijuana. I think they were saying it was growing at 40 hectares a day. I don't know how big that is, but uh, um, people were coming like every day. Um, to start new lives, and maybe some intended to cross the border, some thought they would get money in the maquiladoras, they could find jobs, and they would just build little shacks, uh, they would get either, they'd get a piece of land, um, either purchase it from the state, or they they, they were called uh, parachuters, paracaidistas, and they were land invaders, but essentially they would get a little plot of land, build a little shack, and then as they um, got wealthier or got wealthier, um, got a little bit more money, they would, you know, maybe buy some cement blocks and, and, and then build it up. So there was that reality. There's the super upper crust reality, the, the country club, which I wasn't privy to at first, but that was another reality. And then there's the cross-border reality, right, of all the people who cross the border all the time. So uh, Tijuana, I think, still is incredibly complex and has many different realities. Uh, yeah, and, and more so, you know, well, doesn't San Diego, right? When that, when that question come up, doesn't any city? Yeah, but maybe, maybe not with such contrast and so, um, so raw and so many countries. Um, right now we have Ukrainians, right? You have, I mean, there were Cameroonians, there's been Haitians, there's Central Americans. It's just this amazing melting pot of people right now. I'm curious, you know, your your experience with those various realities and what you see happening today. I'm curious about your thoughts about the current state of journalism and reporting in Tijuana and Baja, especially given the, the recent attacks on journalists there. Um, well, you know, there before I came, there was um, there would have been an, uh, the killing of a columnist for Seta. Hector Felix back in, I guess, 89 or 88. I, this is before I came. And three years after I came, the publisher of the, the Seta Newsweekly, the sort of muckraking investigative Newsweekly Seta, 
he was attacked, um, uh, an attack ordered by the Arianos and his uh, bodyguard was killed. So it, it's not new. And then I think it was 2004 and a set the editor was killed. Um, th there has been violence against journalists. So this is not the first time. Um, um, what is the state right now is, you know, journalists are part of society, right? So it's not, they are particularly vulnerable if they don't have protection. Um, they are special in the, I think in a different way, but in the sense that cops are also, they're in harm's way, right? Um, you can make somebody angry by the photo you publish or the article you write. And if you don't have protection, you could you could get killed. And I think what is the frightening thing is, will, you know, there's a, a high degree of impunity and will, will the person who did it be caught and punished? Um, uh, I think we, we've just seen the, the killing of, of two journalists, Margarito Martinez and Lourdes, um, uh, Lourdes Maldonado. They're two different, really different cases. And, um, but I think they both speak to, to how, I don't want to say easy, but yeah, how easy it is um, to kill someone. Um, uh, Mar Margarita lived in a very violent neighborhood and he covered crime scenes. Um, and he had been sort of uh, attacked on social media. So I, there was some kind of lethal combination uh, of things that got him killed. Lourdes, we don't know that it's linked yet to her journalism. Um, and yet, and yet, you know, does that make it any less wrong? I mean, she was a citizen of, of Tijuana. She was a resident. I think, I think um, her family and, and the city has a right to know why was she killed? And and the whoever the perpetrators should be caught and punished. So. And as you say, that issue of impunity, um, you know, that weighs very heavily. I, I'm sure on on all the journalists working there. Yeah, I think I have seen um, journalists there. Right around, uh, there's been more and more sort of collaboration among journalists. There's a, uh, there was a group called Yo Si Soy Periodista to sort of distinguish themselves from, uh, from the influencers um, to, to show, look, we're, we're the real journalists. These other guys are just guys who might get paid to you know, write, a, write a nasty story about some government official or, or a political rival or, 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 or get paid by organized crime, right? So how, how do you distinguish a real journalist from uh, some guy who just has a, a Facebook page? Um, so I think that's, that's part of what's really hard uh, about being a journalist right now, to sort of establish your professionalism. Uh, yeah. yeah. And you see that as different from when you were reporting there? Oh yeah, there's a lot more media. There's a lot more people who at least call themselves journalists that are out there and there's a new generation. Before, when I came, there were maybe, you know, a half a dozen newspapers. And I also think there was sort of a, a pact, right? Um, uh, the, the editors or the publishers were part of the power structure of the city. And, um, and, and so, and now you have these kind of, these young guys starting up their own, their own web pages. 
you don't need a printing press to be a journalist anymore or a radio station. You just have a, a website. And there's some pretty good ones. You know, there's some good journalists, good young journalists out there. So the the podcast, I'm I'm interested in what you hope will be the biggest takeaway for listeners to the podcast. Well, well, I mean, Timona does have a, a reputation, let's say, um, in other parts of Mexico and in the U.S. And I, and yet, I don't think it's a city that's very well known or very appreciated. Um, I mean. It the stories that and date lines that come out of Tijuana generally have to do with with uh, drug trafficking and migration. Um, I think earlier we would write more business stories or more art stories, but but now in recent years I don't think we we've seen the full breadth of the city represented in the media, and I I I hope I hope that people just maybe have a feeling that even if we do write about drug trafficking and we do talk about it, hey, there's real families affected, um, people who live there, um, like a doctor, the doctors who, um, you know, feared kidnapping, um, the family whose two sons um, ended up, uh, you know, getting, um, well, uh, getting entangled with Ariano Felix um, and, and just the, the destruction that this does to a city you know, to a city that that maybe 20 years ago was kind of this quiet, you know, when we say dusty border city, maybe that was Tijuana. Well, that's not Tijuana today. And um, that's not the Tijuana that I hope people will come away with. It's just this active, bustling city that has issues um, and has some very special issues that you're not going to find in other cities. But it is also like a wealth of of uh, kind of youth and art and culture. And, um, you know, it's a city that I think people should get to know and get to know better and feel connected to, not to feel that, oh, there's that city over there. Um, that city, especially for San Diegans, that city is us, you know? A, a, a lot of people are cross, cross border. Um, and to me, it makes me sad, maybe that a lot of San Diegans don't cross and don't get to know the city better. It's it's a city worth knowing. Well, and people definitely will, those who don't already will get to know it uh, through the podcast, which is fantastic. And congratulations on on the work and uh, all of your, your many years of work there. Mm -hmm. it's, um, the podcast is a really great insight into that. So thank you. And thank you for being here today. No, thank you, Laura. And yeah, thank you to the UT for supporting this and uh, to Susan White for hanging in with me uh, all these all these years as we built this. So thank you. Thank all of you. Thank you, Beto. Thank you. Luis. Thank you very much, Laura. Thank you very much, Sandra. Border City premieres Tuesday, April 5th. Subscribe and listen on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. And subscribe to the San Diego Union Tribune to go even deeper with more exclusive Border City content. That does it for this special edition of San Diego News Fix. For everyone at the San Diego Union Tribune, thank you very much for listening. Have a great day, everybody.